challenge is how to build an audience. I mean, you can do that, you can try that, but how do you do something that's unique, compelling, really people think, oh, I can't get that anywhere else. I will, I'll give that my attention. And we're in an attention economy now where unless what you're doing is absolutely fantastic, uh, people will switch off. Welcome to episode 195 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Today, we live in a world of fake news and alternative facts an infodemic where decisions are made on emotion, not evidence. From Donald Trump championing an unproven drug to fight coronavirus, or Iranians drinking methanol to fight off COVID-19, the world is full of misinformation. As consumers and concerned citizens, where do we go for trustworthy information? My guest this week, Lisa Watts, describes herself as a long-term news junkie having held multiple senior roles in digital media. When the idea for the conversation was pitched to her, it was immediately compelling. Now with more than 10,000 donors, The Conversation is a news outlet operating on a not-for-profit basis, bringing independent, research-backed journalism to the general public. In episode 119 of Be The Drop, recorded live from PauseFest, Lisa and I discuss the death of traditional media, the birth of the Conversation News outlet, and she reveals how her not-for-profit team got their fledgling platform out to tens of thousands of fellow news junkies. This is Lisa's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, we also deliver podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more details. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me for the next episode of Be The Drop. My pleasure. We're here at Pause Fest, and you've just been talking about the broken media model. But before we jump into that, I'd love it if you could share a story or um, something that stands out to you that talks a little bit about how you've got to here. I know that's a big ask, right? We've all been on such a big journey. But something that gives us a little bit of a context so that we can get to know you. Okay. Um, well... I came to where I am now really by meeting someone in a cafe, as often people who kind of end up doing interesting jobs do, and um, he told me about an idea that he'd had, um, which was the conversation model, and I was sort of shocked that no one had done it. It was such a good idea and so simple, and so he was one of the co-founders, but basically um, I had had a lot of jobs in digital media. I had um, been a CEO of privately owned companies and worked for big places and small places. And one of the jobs I used to have when I worked for Fairfax Digital was doing like evaluations of business models for companies that wanted to sell in classifieds because I was looking after my career, you know, the online um, sort of classifieds for jobs. And um, 
I got to do assessments of, you know, people pitching pretty quick. And when I heard his idea, I was like, that's really good, like a really amazing idea. So um, I was kind of compelled to get involved. Oh, well, that is a good hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and every story starts with a good hook. So I, I, I'll take the bait. Sure. So what is the model then? It's a collaboration between academics who work doing research at our great universities and journalists who act as editors working, pairing up every day and helping translate and unlock the knowledge that lives inside their heads and writing really short, plain English summaries of news or analysis or commentary around things that have happened in the world that might need to bring sort of expert views on mm. and publishing it for the general public. So, And what is it that you think in, in that writing a short, interesting, engaging um, piece that will, you know, will help further the story? What are some of the key aspects in that? Well, in a way, it's more who's writing rather than um, what it says. What it says is obviously important, but so often with the sort of destruction of the media model in terms of advertising, you know, Facebook took out, what is it, 500 million last year uh, out of the market, or that's what they made from Australian advertisers, and Google, I think, 3 billion. Um, That all would have been paying for journalism 10 years ago, five years ago. So there's been thousands of journalists who have left the industry and they've been replaced by um, a very vibrant, rich ecosystem of lots of other voices, but not all of them necessarily um, skilled at the rigour of journalism. So you might have celebrities or people who are ex-politicians or PR trying to sell brands who are sort of using media to further a a position or an ideological position or get a point across or talk about how good their brand is, um, as opposed to having some really serious, experienced um, experts who've been doing a science round or environment round for years and years and really know their stuff. Yeah, so... We only have experts who um, can write in their area of expertise. So a geologist can't just write about sort of gender studies. It has to be about the research they're writing for. And they have to disclose any funding and they have to create a big profile of who they are, um, what their background is, what um, what journals they've written. Um, the, uh, so a reader can really say, oh, who is this person? And do they have anything that might be influencing this article? So what you're talking about sounds like a real building of trust yeah. and, and credibility, which I think, you know, in this wake of fake news, mm. which, you know, may lead into this broken media model that you've been talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, people are really, you know, nobody knows what to trust or how to understand what is credible. I know I might read something and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And you end up going down some rabbit yeah. warren and then I still don't know what's credible and or that, not. that has become so much worse with little social bubbles where your feed is so highly tuned just for you, mainly from what your friends are sharing and seeing. So even if you follow a credible media brand on Facebook, you're not going to see all their posts. Um, you're going to see whatever the algorithm wants you to see. And that's based on a whole lot of other things rather than just what you should see. So, yeah. So if you, you know, obviously you've just given a presentation on it and we've probably touched on some of it, but if you wanted to summarise then, what is this broken media model? And then I'll follow up with wanting to understand what next. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, back to the beginning, before this thing launched, um, one of the co-founders, Andrew, was um, at Melbourne Uni 
doing a bit of work to kind of think about how they could better engage with the public. And that's where he sort of came up with the idea because he was talking to Peter Doherty, Professor Peter Doherty, a sort of Nobel laureate, immunologist, you know, super smart guy. And uh, Peter said to Andrew, look, um, I want to talk to journalism, the people. I, w- I want to be in the media. I want to engage. But every time um, I sit down to do an interview, I al- always think, oh, how bad is this going to be? Um, what are, what's it going to end up look saying? Um, and there's that sort of feeling of dread, knowing that uh, through no fault of the person that they send out, but what would have been a really experienced science journalist who knew about health stuff and was able to have a very informed kind of way of unpicking the story and putting it together is replaced by a generalist because all the people that got the first round of redundancies in big newspapers were, generally speaking, the um, really expensive ones <laughs> who were experienced. And they were replaced with people who had to file and do digital and do, you know, and do a whole lot of things. They, they're, fan- they're equally as good, but they, they can't possibly have that subject matter expertise that they would have if they were just doing one thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Peter said to Andrew, look, I know what I want to say. You know how to write. If you could just help me write my own article, I mean, that'd be good. And that's when, really, the idea was to say, oh, that's what you need to do. Just hire some journalists, pair them up with an academic and get them to write a a story together. Mm. And so then on a bigger scale with a, a broken media model, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there's been, you know, I guess quite a lot of a shift, I think, in public interest journalism. So not journalism that's sort of just about sort of entertainment or or, um, general stuff, but public interest journalism that really serves the needs of the public first. Um, And often it is non-profit, not exclusively. Um, I think there's been sort of some um, interesting projects launched in the last little while. So things are probably less dire than they would have been maybe a few years ago. Um, And mostly that's because I think the public, either either it's just getting used to paying for content through Netflix or other subscriptions, um, or a real turn away and a realisation that the big mainstream brands aren't what they used to be, Um, then people know that if you want public interest journalism, the public have to pay. So if the media model is really broken and the old sort of big brands of newspapers are just not going to be there doing what they used to do, holding government to account, you know, investigating things at the same level, then, um, you know, in countries, particularly in the States, you know, there's some good models of big non-profit investigative journalism outfits who mainly just funded by readers. Um, and again, the conversation has... Um, uh, it's a big part of our revenue plan. Um, we had 10,500 individual donors last year and, you know, we're hoping to sort of keep growing that as more and more people realise that, it, you know, if they want it, they have to pay. Mm. Mm. And, and so I suppose then part of that is then really people going, okay, well, I want trust and I want credibility. Yeah. And as you're saying, then there needs to be a financial commitment to it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And kind of being transparent about what you want the money for. I mean, I think if you're trying to create a business, a media business just for wealth, I mean, those days are sort of over. I think most people who are saying, I want to start a media business, they're doing it because they really care about journalism and media um, and the money-making is secondary. Um, And that's why you see more and more non-profit operations sort of popping up or small niche publications that are very low cost um, just because the the advertising money, the advertising model just does not work anymore. Even brands that have still got that, it's it's not growing. 
Um, it's all getting hoovered up by Facebook and, and targeting on, on Google and other platforms. Mm. And yeah. for you personally, why was it that that model really resonated so strongly with you? Um, look, I, I've always been a sort of person who's been, you know, a news junkie and very, I've worked in sort of media, digital for a long time. And um, I think my experience was the same as a lot of other people's where I felt like um, I was just, where, where will we get trusted quality information from in the future? Like, this is part of the solution. And so to have my sort of energy and creativity um, attached to a project that is doing something uh, as part of that solution, you know, it's a privilege. So, yeah. And so what about, you know, what would you say to individuals or organisations, like going back to the example of the professor, mm. you know, how, what is a really good way to go about trying to get good stories about your business or work that you're doing, you know, because people, like it's really hard for non-media people to navigate the media landscape. Yeah, I mean, in some ways I think, you know, if you're just um, outside of academia, if you're just a business wanting to get a message out, there's probably more choices now than ever before. You know, you can talk to podcasters and create your own content and come up with a YouTube channel and, I mean, people are doing that, I mean, at mass thousands of, you know, there's probably, if you look around the room down there, there's probably hundreds of people doing interesting things there. The challenge is how to build an audience. I mean, you can do that, you can try that, but how do you do something that's unique, compelling, really people think, oh, I can't get that anywhere else. I will, I'll give that my attention. And we're in an attention economy now where unless what you're doing is absolutely fantastic, uh, people will switch off. Yeah, yeah. And so then what is your key advice around how to get attention? Like, you know, is it to have it across lots of different platforms or what, what are some of the key things that you think? Look, I'm not an expert in, you know, how to sort of market a commercial thing right now today. Obviously, I would say, you know, having a unique a sense of what makes you unique and then creating a sort of network of people, uh, audiences that you want to target and figure out where they are and try to align yourselves with other brands that are also wanting to talk to those sorts of people um, and doing a sort of variety of things in terms of your messages there. So I think, you know, if you're targeting, you know, nurses aged sort of 18 to 24, <laughs> I mean, the answer is that's just all done by the platforms. Mm. I mean, that is their core business. So I think the reason that, you know, um, you know, over $3 billion is spent every year on that is because it works. So I guess you spend your money with Google and Facebook. <laughs> I guess that's the answer. And then you muck around with a podcast and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've been mucking around with a podcast for four years. Yeah, well, it's, it's good. It's a fun journey. Yeah. So then, but bringing that, that sort of concept back to the conversation, yeah. you know, and you mentioned that... T- 10,500 people mm. paid money to yep. participate mm. and you're looking to grow that. Yeah. How do you continue to grow? How do you engage with that audience and what will you be looking to do to get more of them? Yeah, well, our audience has really doubled over the last couple of years. Um, and so we haven't done any marketing ourselves. It's just been through, um, you know, we're a non-profit. Um, the... Um, the way in which we think about um, having a very light touch on the internet, trying to have fast page load, trying to be um, as well optimised as we can uh, for SEO, um, and also just trying to sort of build a sense of loyalty through, you know, people recommending it to their friends, etc., and sharing it. Um, so I think we're we're just about conversion. So we really um, people who tend to give tend to be the people who subscribe to the daily newsletter, who know the brand we've got a sort of um, more intimate attachment to it and understanding of what we're doing, not just sort of 
flying by and reading a few Instagram posts, although that helps sort of cement it. Um, and trying to, um, during our campaign period, just like we do a little bit like public radio, we have um, a sort of part of the year, late May into June, um, where we really just hit readers hard, a bit like Wikipedia, um, with some campaigns on site. And that's where we raise most of our um, commitments for the for the next 12 months. Um, and I guess um, what we're hoping to do is, as their audience keeps growing, if we can keep the same conversion rate, that would be good. Yeah. Mm. And there's a relationship with the university as well. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, so it is a university sort of project um, and they we, we sort of we serve the readers but we're also very much about um, supporting and showcasing, you know, academic work um, and academic freedom. So um, we've worked with 13,000 academics since we've launched 10 years ago, um, which is a big number. And... Um, universities pay an annual membership fee and that really is the sort of underpinning of the business model. Um, so about half our funding comes from universities and CSIRO paying a, an annual fee. And for that, um, we give them data back on um, what's happened, post-publication impact, um, analytics on where the stories have been read. Everything's created under... Um, published under Creative Commons. So, you know, if you wanted to republish a story on podcasts, you could do that on your own blog, for example. Um, and we take um, uh, a snapshot sort of every day of, you know, what, what happens, where else an article has gone, and, and deliver that back to, to universities so they can kind of measure their public engagement activities. Mm. Um, yeah. And academic storytelling is a really interesting one because often academic work is quite detailed yeah. and very niche specific, as you mentioned, mm. but not necessarily easily consumable by a general population. So what are some of the key... How do you go about translating mm. very technical, you know, potentially years of research yeah. into something that I might understand? I don't know. Well, that's why we need the money for editors. <laughs> so really good editors who, I mean, that's their bread and butter. Um, and and trying to also, when an academic pitches to us, um, they fill out a sort of pitch form, which is really ask them not to send in a fully formed article, but, um, you know, why is this story important? Um, what are the key points? What, what do readers really need to know? You know, is it connected to a news hook? Is it something that explains a current event that's just happened overnight? Um, and to kind of make it contextually relevant, um, that's really important. But also within our software that's um, all been built here in Melbourne, there's some translation tools in there. So we've got a readability index set at age 16, and it goes, like with little traffic lights, it goes sort of green when it's a um, simple enough sentence and has red if it's sort of too long and too many words in the, in the sentence. And that, that really helps um, the academic kind of get real-time feedback. Um, and also uh, it means that, you know, you can't publish it until it goes green. So that, that really assists in terms of, you know, simplifying it. Mm, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, because we, we want the stories to be sort of go all over the world to be um, picked up by everyone from the Daily Mail to Mamma Mia to Washington Post to, you know, all the big brands. So uh, ABC would take, you know, three or four probably pieces a day um, and they want something that is, you know, um, not dumbed down but just really accessible. Um, so uh, it's the, mostly human intervention is the main thing, yeah, editing. Mm. Mm. Now, are we wrapping up? Is that yes? Okay, all right. <laughs> I could have talked for more, but, well, um, so I'll do a final one. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. In conclusion, though, yes. could you share with me Lisa's Be The Drop tip? So that's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires. Mm, I mean, that's a good one. 
Oh, look, I just think be authentic. People can tell if you're trying to just sort of shove a product or a service that isn't right. Pick your market and like if someone really does need what you've got and you know it, just sell it. But if they don't, just leave them. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.